Hi, this is Ashley Farod and just listening to Behind the Bio, the podcast about the people behind the professions. Russell Evans is the guest in this particular episode. Russ is the man behind Experience Eats, an Instagram account with just under 40,000 followers which specializes in all things food, especially in Canberra and the surrounding region. Russ is a chef and has been one for a very long time. So as you could imagine, all the experience translates exceptionally well into an Instagram feed full of information about the food that he experiences on our behalf and suggests that we go and experience ourselves. So do you think I used the word experience enough in that intro? I probably broke some kind of record. But it is an important point and you'll understand why once we chat with Russ during the episode. If you're interested in the world of chefing, food, hospitality, or even becoming an influencer, dare I say that word, then this most certainly is the podcast for you. I'd like to thank the Coordinate Group for making this entire series possible, and I hope you enjoy the chat with the lovely Russ Evans here on Behind the Bio. Hey Russ, how are you going? Hey. <laughs> yes, it is Ashley. Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> um, so, uh, thanks so much for coming. I, it's kind of fun. I know we're both out of puff a little bit because we ran out up some stairs before we got to the studio and I'm actually sandwiched in between meetings, but I wasn't going to move this because I was actually very keen to speak to you. Great. So, um, first things first, I, I should probably just say that you and I have met on some random things here and there, mostly in the work that you've done or are doing in the food space, yes. specifically the blog and yeah. the kind of the influencer stuff. Um, and of course, you know, being a foodie and everything else, you do some wonderful work specifically showcasing the kind of food that is available in Canberra and other places too. Um, and I think the last time we probably caught up would have been in the Canberra Centre when they were doing the launch of the new Japanese restaurant. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. anyway, the good thing was you and I finally got to sit next to each other when we started talking and I'm you, like, you, oh, cook, you cooked me dinner. I, I, got, nice. I, I did cook you dinner. Yes, That's yes, right. yes. I, that was the first time I've ever cooked Japanese, but hey, <laughs> apart from the time we um, created the gigantic flame, which you really yeah, liked, yeah, but yeah. we got in trouble for doing that. Yeah. So. Exactly. Anyway, enough about that. First things first, for those who don't know you, what do you say to people when they ask you, what do you do for a living? Uh, so I am uh, Russell Evans and I'm a chef. Uh, I've been in uh, the hospitality industry now for 30 years. Right. And uh, I've been in Canberra now for about 15 years. Mm -hmm. And uh, for the last probably five years, uh, really been focused on communicating uh, what's going on in Canberra and what's going on f in food because mm -hmm. my passion just grew to that part. Yep. And uh, I realized that because I have been doing it such a long way, I can have a, a great voice in the space because it yep. comes from experience. Of course, no, it certainly does. And it shows too. I mean, you clearly enjoy what you do. And uh, this is an interesting thing. Like a lot of people who get into the influencer space by itself to get out yeah. of, or get into it, I should say, out of the passion they have for something. But passion and skill together, you know, really elevates yes, that, doesn't yeah, it? Which it is does. what you have. Yeah. Um, go back a little bit. You mentioned that you've been in Canberra 15 years. Yes. Yeah, right. And before that you were in? Uh, Melbourne for yep. 11 years. Uh, and I'm from New Zealand originally. Yeah. So uh, born and raised in New Zealand in Rotorua. Yeah, only a few a words. Bit. Yes. I uh, words like Ben, I can't change. It's <laughs> awesome. Don't I can't worry. say the word Alan because uh, I can't say the A and L part right. <laughs> Uh, just like you, Ash, there's still words you, oh, just, yeah. you struggle through. Hey, there's more than words that I struggle through. <laughs> um, so 
And you've always been a chef? Or is that a career change at some point? Uh, no, no. I, uh, I started being a chef uh, when I was 14. Mm-hmm. Uh, a guy came to school uh, back in the 1990s and said, hey, sign up for this because it'll be fun and it'll be glamorous. And I, was, I signed up to it. And then uh, it just takes you from there. Uh, uh, there wasn't much career change. I have, uh, I do do other things uh, in that time. Uh, but being a chef, uh, I was always passionate. Uh, I've been cooking at home with my family yep. uh, since I, sort of from a very young age. Um, and I really enjoy the commercial space of cooking too because it's mm. more than just creativity and flair. Um, it's just a comradeship that you just don't get in yeah. many roles. Yeah. And the, and the passion for food, um, it, did that come out of parents – Influences, and I mean influences in terms of the the family dynamic. Uh, partly, uh, so my uh, my family is uh, is very traditional New Zealand. So we we didn't have much exposure to global stuff. Where I grew up in uh, Rotorua, New Zealand, uh, through the eighties and nineties, there wasn't very many options to be had uh, by way of other cuisines. It was just very traditional New Zealand food. Uh, and the th- my part of my foodie culture is we we ate a lot of things that were free. So we ate a lot of seafood, fish, uh, wild meat, uh, because it was free. We ate a lot of forage vegetables, not because it was romantic, and because it was free. <laughs> yeah. um, and so that was a good building block to my, uh, my food focus, because I was really excited uh, I was never really excited about it when I was living in it until I, I moved away and started realizing what other people do. Um, my childhood meals were quite quite traditional, um, lower middle class, I suppose. I'll, I'll place myself in mm-hmm. uh, of ham steaks and chops and mints, uh, savory mints, because I'm I'm one of six, um, and I'm, I'm from quite a large family. So to to get the food that we needed, it was always kind of stretched from the basics. It was efficiency worked yeah. in, yeah, health and efficiency. Uh, that also built my passion for that stuff. You yeah. know, how do you make food go further? Um, a funny note is I I had I had never tried sushi until I was nineteen. Uh, I, I, uh, it was well, only, you let lots of fish, but just yeah, not yeah, in never, never in rice with nori. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so I always think back on that like it's ridiculous. Like uh, my my young kids probably had sushi in their first year of life, um, and it, it's not that much of there was no sushi to be had uh, where I grew up. It it was completely foreign and, yep. and unheard of. Um, and I, I just went back uh, in December and. In January, and uh, there's a sushi go round and a sushi train <laughs> and and a fast sushi. But in where I'm from, what blows my mind is the sushi shop actually sells butter chicken and hot chips because it's the mishmash of what people have really come to like. Sure. Um, and everybody's favourite sushi is uh, the crab stick sushi with the avocado. Right. Um, not not obviously to to the finer things. Not to the sashimi and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and mum and dad both had their skills cooking. Uh, but obviously it was for cooking for a lot of people. And coming from a big family, we I have some good um, food heroes in my family. I had um, uncles who uh, fished and hunted and I was allowed to go with them. Uh, one of my uncles uh, taught me how to duck shoot and uh, we used to go uh, into the lakes and get freshwater crayfish. And it was is out of necessity, not just romance. What I was trying to find a parallel to is the experience eats, uh, obviously, Instagram uh, account that you've got. 
it seems to be all about opening up the experiences of food and cuisine to people. And I just wondered, did you, from that moment of the traditional cooking and everything else, did the same thing happen to you? I mean, you've mentioned the sushi, of course, but it, did you also go on a bit of a journey to discover all the things that are around the world, so to speak, and try to pick the things that you're interested in and ultimately kind of skill up in those? Yes. Uh, I'm always looking for an experience yeah. every waking moment because – I um, I always have this analogy about I only have so many meals left in my life <laughs> um, and I don't want to have one being mediocre. So it pushes me. Um, we've done um, a fair bit of travel and and with Experience Eats, it is about looking for experiences. It is looking about things that only exist in one place. It, it is about trying to find um, – there's, there's plenty of mediocre restaurants that can mm. do one dish that will rock your world. <laughs> Uh, there's lots of places that aren't dressed up very well and have terrible service and and uh, don't know what they're doing, everything else except <laughs> their food. Yeah. Uh, and their food has rules and tradition and method and they nail it. Yeah. And what I what I kind of like is that nobody knows that they're that good, but also I worry that nobody knows that that they're good that yeah. they're yeah. that good. So that's where we come in, trying to just um, filter out the hype because uh, in what we do in in the influence bracket, sometimes you're dealing with hype. Sure. Uh, you're dealing with uh, perception or or just brand association. A yeah. lot of stuff people just um, instantly flock to because it suits who they are, mm. not what they want to be. And um, I I try to teach myself and my kids just to always give something a go. Yeah. You, you never know. Uh, we, we always look for texture. We always look for new ideas. Mm. Um, and in Canberra, we've got so many gems who hundred percent don't know how to communicate themselves. Right? You, you know that they've got an amazing offering. They're really good, but they still just there pushing their A-frame sign out and hoping somebody's going to. Oh, look, pop it's in. humble. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's humble. And it's not just it's not just internet. It's just they don't know how to communicate yeah. with everybody. They they all all think yeah. it's finding a place that's got good foot traffic. But Canberra's the perfect size that we can use every corner of it. Mm. Um, there's there's nowhere in Canberra that's going to really put you out of your way to go for not only an experience but for a taste of somebody's culture uh, in a world where we've just got our first restaurant that's got a yurt. Uh, we've got another place <laughs> that's. Uh, uh, that that's cooking everything over like cooking nothing but different lamb dishes over over like wood um but they don't know that there's other ways to do it it's just a really exciting exciting to be a communicator in that yeah. space and it's really it's a really great conversation because you get so many people who open up to you so um there's a place and just nearby in Balconen who uh, I didn't know a, a girl I've known for some time. Uh, she's a Uyghur. She's, but she's never mentioned it until we went to a restaurant that was a Uyghur uh, cuisine yeah. place. And she goes, that's where I'm from. And I go, I just thought, I just assumed you were Chinese because yeah. you say you're Chinese. Yeah. And she goes, no, but I'm, I'm proudly Uyghur. And I just thought, this is what people talk about. Over food, we share so much. Mm. That's where me and you got to the, the night uh, you made me Japanese food. <laughs> For the first time in my life, that could have been so bad. But anyway, it worked out for the best. Um, and if I think you know, of all the experiences you must have had over your career and personal experiences across food, is there something that you 
particularly into or is there a kind of flavors of the month for you because with all that experience I mean clearly you think I will also try new things all the time is there something that you keep on coming back to that in terms of either cuisine or genre that's your that's your favorite or something that you've always um, loved it comes back down to the whole experience because I suppose the whole reason I'm chasing it is because I remember times sitting around with my extended family and just eating a pot of pippies yeah, like the whole thing. It wasn't just the pippies. The pippies were just regular pippies, just boiled. But the whole thing, the family fever, the the sound it made, the the whole endorphin releasing experience of it all, and that whole experience is what I'm chasing. It's not just the food component. The food, it, the food component's a lovely vessel, but it leads to other things. Um, I've had magnificent moments in some of the world's best restaurants because everybody in those spaces chases excellence and it's excellence for the purpose of you. It's not excellence because they think they're better than anybody else. They want your experience to be at another level. Well, ultimately so, we're, we as being the, the, the public or the yeah. customers or the judges, yeah. even more so than yeah. the experts, right? And so that chase is what keeps me going for it. Uh, but any any good given moment, I've got a a hot dish of the moment that I'm really focused on, that sure. I really like. Um, and there's ideas I like. So being a chef, it makes it really hard to get surprise out of food. Yeah. Um, so when you take away the surprise element of food, it actually it makes it really hard because you just you sit there and you're trying to take it apart. But once you take away my understanding of what's going on, this is like Uyghur cuisine, like Szechuan cuisine, like where they do all of this alchemy in my mind because I don't know all the facets yet mm-hmm. and I want, want to know but there's so many it's a whole different silo of learning that is where the excitement lies that's yeah. where where you've taken you've taken my understanding of, of food and it's gone so I'm already in in a place where I can um, where I can really expose myself to the experience mm. Um and the other thing that happens is that all of the elements, uh, there, there's something special about sitting on a plastic chair in the middle of Bangkok that's too small, um, <laughs> eating a hot bowl of noodles at 2 a.m. Um, and it sounds very, it washes over you. Like you just, it, it's, uh, I sit and I have that moment, I go, this is a forever memory for me because it's the whole package. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just a boy from Rotorua, New Zealand, and now I am here doing this, yeah. and it's really exciting. And it's it's going that the people I always think about the people who grow up eating like this, and this is their culture. And I think, wow, you guys have just got it. You, you just <laughs> yeah, have sure. you guys have have this great culture where where food isn't just an afterthought, where yeah. where you're not just trying to get the the most filling thing into you, and you try. I love the passion of trying to have as many family and friend meals as mm. you possibly can have. But do you think they know? Because what's interesting is the reason that you're seeing this is because you've had all these other experiences, yes. right? So the wider your scope of experience, the, the, the more you can experience the very thing you're yes. looking at at that point. And so do they know it? I sh- no, not I'll at tell all. you what I mean. You know how the reason that I ask that question, you know, there's something that you kind of tend to lean back into. I, I love the way that you, rather than saying, well, look, let, let me be honest, it's carbonara, right, or something, or Italian. You kind of said, well, actually what I'm trying to lean back into is a holistic experience and a whole bunch of 
history and yeah. what that means on a plate. And I love it because, in fact, a couple of weeks ago, someone asked me this question, um, which is getting together with friends and said, all right, you have to pick one meal that you eat for the rest of your life, which I find a really difficult question. Yeah. And anyway, in the end, I said, fine, if you made me choose, it'll be pokeballs. Yeah. But really, it's not that pokeballs are my very favorite thing. It's just that I went for logic and I went, well, it's got fish, it's got rice, it's got all the groups. You could probably survive on that for quite some time. Yeah, and and yeah, it tastes great, great right? Yes. So everybody's happy. But actually, when I thought about it some more, I said, well, actually, I think you asked me the same question. You asked when we were sitting next to each other, do, do I have like this meal that, you know, really resonates with me? And I said something about dumplings, yeah. remember? Specifically, oddly enough, sour cherry Polish dumplings, which have ricotta cheese and cream on top of them. The funny thing is, it's a weird meal to to say that that's kind of like so important because it's such a basic meal. It's sour cherries jammed into a particular dough that's very much like gnocchi. You know, you kind of just boil that for a while, then you pan fry it and voila, it's, it's super simple. But it reminds me of something that's not very current, as in I only got it when I was a, a small child back in back in Europe. And yeah, I, I think the reason that I went for it is because there's like history, culture, a whole bunch of association of things yeah. and an experience of my grandmother yeah. when she was around making that for me in a place that I haven't been to since, you know, yeah. and that was a very long time ago. So I, you're very right. Now that I think about it, even in my own perspective, yeah, it's. It, I get it that you're not saying, well, it's just yeah. this meal or this cuisine, but rather an experience that's joined together into it. And your grandmother and, and, and the culture just created it out of what they had. Yeah, correct. Like, like we sit here now having pantries full of everything. Uh, that all that Thai stuff you bought to make that one Thai dish, and you realise oh, I spent three hundred bucks making some Thai I food. I don't think you've seen my pantry. By the end yeah. of Friday, there's not much in there. But oh, anyway, oh, yes. nice, nice. <laughs> um, and and we just have so much access now. It's hard to really polarise what what we are because it's also part part of what what I find having these conversations all the time is it's kind of a vacuum out of our own culture. Mm. Um, it's hard to find find authenticity and to find uh, a way to message something that's now um, and, and that we all cling to things. But uh, analogy I use all the time is as we're getting so many people who can who can put lashings of olive oil on stuff, but we're getting less and less people who can make a good scone. Mm. Um, and, and I think trying to build that passion up. I think we've got the biggest amount of uh, top to bottom than we've ever had before. We've got so many people who rely on convenience and so many people who are passionate cooks, but they've got so many places to go with being a passionate cook. Right. Uh, and trying to iron it, uh, trying to find a, a common medium for everybody to to, to find what's – there's gorgeous dishes that are quick and easy. There's great ways that we can just eat local and, and eat simple and eat what's available to us. But – the hardest part of that is education, mm. like getting people to be aware of um, more so than ever. I feel that so many people don't know when things are in season. It's true. I, I don't yeah. think people really understand. Apart from maybe price being an indicator, but uh, yeah. yes, because they're available all the time. Yeah. Yes, it makes it quite difficult. But me having kids, I know that we, we have to have blueberries in the house 12 months a year because it's the only fruit I can get into my children. <laughs> so I know when they're out of season and I know when we're getting them from the, the very tippy tip of uh, Queensland. Mm. Um, and it's that strange thing that even I can't keep it focused on. You know, if you told somebody that, uh, really, blueberries and raspberries are available for three weeks. 
right at the middle part of summer locally. Mm. That's the three weeks that they're yeah. good. Everybody goes, really? What? What? <laughs> hey, what's going on? <laughs> Isn't there these massive polytunnels and all these other other thoughts around it? Yeah. Um, but it's, a, it's really, I find food is such a great connector. Mm. Yeah. For sure. I wanted to ask about your kids in a moment, but before that, I just wanted to clarify something. So you balance your working between chefing in a restaurant versus, and then obviously doing the experience eat stuff. Is there? Uh, any- uh, so my role is experience eat stuff yep. and consulting, oh, consulting and right. being uh, the back end of experience eat, which is marketing yeah, yeah. as well. And so consulting stuff, do you still chef in that though? Ah, uh, yes, yes. Okay. So that that draws upon all my skills. Um, and in that consulting role, uh, I've been doing it long enough to bring everything to the party. Yeah, for sure. Um, with the the food stuff, and I, I I'll never stop loving making food mm. uh, and trying new ideas. I am I am my own worst enemy when it comes to things that are based around skill. Because uh, if there's a new technique or there's something new to learn, uh, I'm all over it. Uh, I just I just can't help myself. Uh, I always have this vision of myself being in a room and. Not being current, and it, it's something that everybody goes, oh, you don't really have to chase it that hard. And I go, it's really important because you can't mm. talk on a subject if you're not current. Yeah. Um, I sit and sometimes I sit with people that are like their information is old. It's dated. Yeah. And it's a little bit frustrating. I, I respect that they've stopped chasing the knowledge, but they still have the position of, of, of authority where they talk with authority with dated information, yeah, yeah. and and that that like any form of discussion becomes a, a weak point because we're not we're not firing on what's talking mm. uh, what's current. Um, so I always get a, a really I really push myself to try and absorb yeah. as much current knowledge. And in my consultancy, I have to be current with what not only trends. I try to push myself to be inventing new trends. Yeah. And the consultancy, I presume, that might be anything from restaurants setting up and yeah. trying to create menus. It might be um, event um, places. You know, we we're talking about yeah. one just before we came up here that that might require essentially a, a view to what they should offer. Um, and the consulting, presumably, oh, tell me if I'm right, but apart from saying, hey, could you create us a dish? And apart from looking at or series of dishes for a menu, yeah. um, rather than looking, you know, where they sit in terms of what they can actually achieve, it's also probably the knowledge of the market and whether there is essentially either a gap or, or, or something that's, that's desirable by the market. So yeah. I'm presuming a consultant is quite uh, general in a sense. Yeah, very it's not, broad. Yeah, okay, not, not just uh, a specialty and chef. And the yeah. big thing I focus on with, with consultancy is culture, just mm-hmm. trying to create a culture where new j- dishes are adaptive. Um, in, in hospitality, it's really hard because it becomes very rigid very quickly because – um, if you stray or if you go out of outside of the parameters, it really pressurizes a very tight system. Yeah. Um, so we just try to teach the culture of when you do R and D, when you create new dishes, when what food looks like, having a conversation where it isn't just the the head chef of a venue that does all of the creative thought. Um, how do we bring in everybody's cultures? Because uh, uh, we sh- we don't have very many um, chefs and um, and um, cooks that have that can work in an environment that they want to work in an environment where it's collaborative. Yeah, 
Uh, they want to be in a space where the, they've got lots of learning and they learn from this collaborative stuff. So the consultancy really focuses around um, getting it to work as a system that doesn't need any individual specifically, but also that it has a culture where everybody from the owner to the bar team can all contribute what they love or what they sing. And they've, they've felt heard when, hey, I just went to this cool bar and they're doing something innovative with uh, sugarloaf cabbage and and uh, and that it isn't just shunned off as, as that's, that's your idea. Yeah, 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 exactly. yeah. And it's a really hard thing yeah. to change because that's not the norm. Sure. It is definitely not the norm. I'd imagine also be the situation too that if that culture is working well, it also means that the place can adapt and evolve because, you know, you get things back from your customers who love some things more than others or they might even suggest something. And you want your front service staff to be able to come back and say, people are loving this interesting point that I'm picking up about how people are talking about this particular dish or they don't understand it. Perhaps we pair it differently or whatever else. So I think that allows input into flexibility and change. Otherwise, if you're very shut off, then... Yeah, like I was saying before, you get stuck in tradition and that's that. Yeah, and it, and it makes it a really weak system because if anybody goes from that senior leadership team, there's this this, this very, very, uh, like a huge vacuum. But if everybody is really willing to talk about it all the time, um, it, it also builds passion with your floor staff and your yeah. bar staff. And, yeah. and everybody, the most important thing, and it's really hard because it's also hard to talk owners into the sense of ownership mm. where everybody is proud of what they're serving, what they're talking about, how they serve it, everything from beer to wine to table setting. Yeah. Um, because so many business owners forget that all they want is their patrons to want for nothing. I will come back and keep on giving my money for your services and goods as long as I need a want for nothing. If I come and my children are looked after, my friends are looked after, and we have everything and we're enjoying everything, I will continue to come and give you my money. Hmm. Uh, So many people think there's other facets to it, but it's a really simple transaction. And if there's anything that doesn't make that model work, that's what you should be working on. Hmm. Uh, But so many people want the model to be so rigid and specified. And after COVID, we've all learned uh, no two weeks are the same. <laughs> it, it used to be we'd make a plan, we'd run a, a yearly plan or a six-monthly plan or a plan per quarter. Uh, now we regroup every week to see how we're going to roll out that week, That's good. how we're going to roll out the next four weeks, what changes, um, what we assess all the risk and all the other things that are coming for us, the changes uh, probably in the last four years, I've never been so enveloped in governance. So the way the government <laughs> yes. operates. So, so I went from listening to COVID stuff. Now I listen to um, tax stuff, and and I'm listening to what they're talking about in the space of uh, legislation. Uh, for some things, this the new gaming talk is, is is has to be a vital thing that I have to listen to too. Just so so we can see it coming. Mm-hmm. I think the the hardest thing is. Once upon a time, before we were so global, an uh, incident would happen and you'd have a bit of time to recover. But right now, because everything, there isn't much margin in ever, anything that happens within hospitality, um, if you wait too long, it just costs you. Yeah. And nobody nobody has the, the time that they think they have to recover. The, the best time to be working on any of this stuff is now. Mm-hmm. And um, a big part of... Also, getting all this right is it makes it an attractive industry because right now the hospitality industry it just has this strange rep. We 
we had the MasterChef rep where everybody who had a passion for cooking sucked in and thought they wanted to be a commercial chef. Yep. Uh, and then all of a sudden, um, as COVID came out, all of our dirty laundry was aired that we had to, you know, we're the first people to cut casual chefs. We're the first people to just try and look at every penny we don't have to pay. Uh, there's been an underlying um, stigma with hospitality that we've always paid cash in hand. Mm. Uh, there's an underlying stigma that, you know, work hard, play hard. Um, and that stuff isn't sustainable. Yeah. Like, it, like we get a lot of, there's lots of people who come and want a job for a few years and enjoy it because it's, it is, is, it's like the best bunch of pirates you've ever worked with. Yeah, for sure. Everybody has whatever's going on, but at the end of the day, you're all on the same team, mm. so you do it together. You don't have to like each other, but you work like a brilliant team together. Yeah. Um, and to make all of that attractive again is is the challenge that I live in daily, is just trying to figure out how we get people to choose being a chef for the rest of their life or or for the time they want to. And, and really communicate what being a, a chef in the modern age looks like because when I was growing up a chef was in a kitchen my first kitchen I worked in there were 60 chefs in it you're just a number and yeah. and but you have lots of work but if you weren't there somebody slips in and it all just gets done uh, now we're talking teams of you know three to ten and a ten is a massive massive team um, and trying to find what that looks like. Um, I'll never lose my passion for all of it because I, I started <laughs> out and I, I've had the good fortune over time um, to work with some of the the really passionate chefs who love the industry, the food they create, and what it becomes. Mm. The um, the, you just said something about you know the hospitality industry. I'll just I'll just throw in that I spent I think five years working in it. And I really loved it for exactly the thing that you mean. You end up becoming very good friends that you work with. And there's a very specific culture around people that work, you know, long, interesting, tough shifts. But the other flip side of it is uh, it teaches you how to, well, respond to other human beings probably better than any other profession because it puts you in a situation where sometimes people are very happy that you're doing things for them. Some people have strange demands that make no sense and they just want to be able to boss something around. You learn about all the different ways that people as customers are. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. you, yeah. as essentially the front staff, always have to keep the best intentions, smile through everything, sort out problems very quickly, you know, paddle under the water, so to speak. And it's it's a great little skill and everybody that I know, and a lot of people have done hospitality, uh, everybody looks back upon that as actually being a really important part of development in the way that they understand other human beings. So yeah. you're very right. Not only is it for that team, but also in terms of how I understand others uh, outside of that team. Um the experience side of things, and I mean specific, specifically speaking on the Instagram side, was that a plan? Because you were talking about plans before and how you know you kind of went from large plans to smaller plans these days. Was that organic? Did it just happen because you went, I'm going to start sharing food and start yeah. sharing this? Or was it something quite conscious that you said, I've got experience, I've got skills, I want people to see this, and therefore I think this will actually be something big one day, as big as it is now. How did that go for you? So back in 2018, we'd, we'd been in New Zealand uh, again. I had had experience eats, which I started as a chef, knowing that I needed more ways to communicate as a chef. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, oh, this would be great. I, I, I kind of set myself a whole stack of rules. 
Um, and we got back from New Zealand and I said, oh, this is, you know, like we had some great, great experiences. So I posted a picture of a white bait omelette that I made at mum and dad's uh, for New Year's Eve. Uh, somebody brought a whole stack of white bait. I went and uh, made a whole stack of white bait omelettes for everybody to share with our, our share plates mm-hmm. um, on New Year's Eve of 2017 going into 2018. Uh, I posted that on the 14th, uh, sorry, on the 12th of January 2018, and it blew up. It went nuts. Well, it, it does sound delicious. Uh, it, well, and like <laughs> what, what was really cool is I, I, I had made it myself. It was at home. Yep. And it was just little, it was a simple passion piece. Like I just said, yep. I love this. This was awesome. And so in 2018, that would have even been real. That would have just been photos, right? Yeah, it was just photos. Yeah, and yeah. it was just uh, Instagram and it's pretty much its uh, Basic. simplest form. And I, I enjoyed Instagram and I got where it was coming, uh, coming from. And this one post, it got on shared 30-odd times. It showed up on New Zealand tourism stuff. And I don't even know why because also it's not available to buy. But everybody had this great... It just got sucked up. It was back. Instagram was very viral then. So it got featured in um, Food 52 and all of these, like, all over the globe. And I was like, this is great. Mm. Um, I posted a couple of more. And they they also, from the same trip, I posted some donuts. And and I really, I really enjoyed it. And then the, the communication started coming through. People started talking back. Uh, and then... I started, as what I've said previously today, is I start wanting not only more, I want to know what works better, but also what, um, I always set myself rules with a lot of stuff that I did. So um, I jumped on my notes on my phone and wrote all the things that we were going to be. We were never going to be our faces. We were always just going to be about the food and also the venues. Mm. Uh, We knew it was a good thing because back then it was – it was quite, it was quite rare for for people to post about venues that didn't participate in in Instagram. Instagram was still uh, there was definitely a tangent of Instagram there. It wasn't an essential part of business. Yeah. Um, and then we just regularly posted because um, I live by trying to be consistent all the time. And then we slowly picked up all of our local local foodie friends that we have now. Uh, we picked up some national ones, and then we started talking with them about stuff. Um, and it just really came hard and fast early. And then we just loved it. We loved that um, the first piece of um, experience each coverage we did for somebody was when Sonoma opened here. All right. So Sonoma, they... Um, Oh, we, then would have, we would have been in that. So yeah. I remember going to that as well. Yeah, yeah. 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 So um, uh, we were we knew people on the ground at Sonoma. We knew that people they had grabbed, and so we did this back of house piece. And this was um, uh, pre all of the stuff that you could do now, like stories. So all you're doing is it's just a static post. Yeah. I think um, about midway through 2018, they introduced IGTV. Um, the other thing that we're very aware of is. We just want to not take too much of people's time. Hmm. It needs to be a good transaction. What do you offer? Uh, we offer knowledge about food, what's going on. Um, not too many pieces. That's why we, um, as, a, as a collective, never put ourselves forward. It's not about my opinion either. 
uh, and and it all needs to be positive because I think that's the best way to come at it. If it's not not good, it's not my position to say. It's like I'm not going to steer people away in my position. You know, um, you're not being a critic. That's, no, that's where no. it comes from. Yeah, and, and, and it never, no come, never comes across that way either. And I never want to be. Yeah. I think because um, the thing that we stand by at our heart, if we if we barrack for something, we mean it. You know, people come back to us and go, we went, it wasn't good. And I said, our experience was good on the time we went. Mm. Uh, part of the problem of what we do is that we actually normally uh, quite often get a different experience to what the general public gets, which, yeah. which we openly warn venues about. Yeah. We make sure that you just do it the same for everybody. If you go to the Japanese restaurant, you're not getting it actually for road. To yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That is not part of the service <laughs> at the Japanese restaurant. Um, and you don't get, you know, you know, that's not how it, you cook yourself, not, not Ashley. Um, and uh, since then, and then we just decided that we're going to, as we met more people doing it and as we, we wanted to do, we wanted to communicate different things, but without it taking up too much of your time. Yeah. I find, uh, I find sometimes people use the space to become, like to stretch out the time that they expect of you. Mm. Um, I struggle um, a little bit with the, sh- the the longer videos. I love YouTube, but I don't have time for YouTube. Sure. Like I don't. Uh, I'd love to. Uh, when I was younger, like everybody, I went down rabbit holes within YouTube, and I loved it. Um, but I just want it to be a simple. Uh, with experience, it's, it's a simple transaction of just exposure. Yeah, I think that's really genuine because it, it talks again to the idea that you're nudging people towards an experience. And the way that you're doing it is that you're showing them a quick, time-efficient suggestion of something they could do and why that might be of interest. Yeah. Again, without this is awesome and this is crap kind of thing attached to it. Of yeah. course, you know, by sheer idea that you're showing it means that you probably think people should try it. Yeah. But nevertheless... I think that's where it comes from. And, and again, what you're then doing is making sure that people kind of go, oh, actually, yeah, that does look interesting. When I'm thinking of where to eat next, perhaps I'll try something different. That's an experience that he suggested. I'm going to have a go at it and see. And then by you know, next week, there might be something different and something yeah. different. And again, it's about widening sorry, that uh, scope of experience. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, it's, it's very genuine because, I mean, it's coming across from everything that we talked about today. And then, you know, right from the very beginning of what you're doing, right to how you started Instagram, the consulting work that you do, all of that is the same thing. It's about broadening out experiences. Um, I promised to ask two other questions specifically I want to do with your children. I'm just looking at the clock. We've got like eight minutes. <laughs> um, but hopefully we can squeeze these in. Uh, your children, I just want to ask this, and I'm sure there's many parents out there I'm wondering the same thing. I've been told that it's a very good idea to introduce children as soon as you can to variety in food. It's difficult because they'd rather a lolly than a Brussels sprout. Everybody knows that. But nevertheless, <clears throat> that early introduction to food uh, grows knowledge quickly and therefore allows for experiences to be at least trialed rather mm. than rejected early on. Do you do that with your children? Have you have you kind of taken quite uh, a conscious approach to also widening their experiences just by little here and there in order for them to kind of grow a bigger palate quicker? Um, or is that very difficult so, to do? So what happens with children is uh, when they're when they're young, it's actually quite easy, like young, that they try more things. Okay, what you fight is once they became uh, toddlers and children and 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 surround themselves by other children, the nuances start coming in. Uh, I have one, my daughter 
is all about food. She loves the idea of whatever. She'll try everything. But slowly, she's six, and it starts changing. It starts Mm. changing for her because also she doesn't want to not like things that her friends don't like. She doesn't want to. They all need a similar lunchbox at school. Um, But introducing them to the whole thing, because the other part of this is actually uh, both me and my wife are very conscious to take our kids wherever we can. So to expose them to the social part of dinner, um, to make sure that they can sit through a dinner and, and have something for themselves to eat, um, and for them to have the growth mindset to try things because it's always going to change for them because their taste buds change. We mm. all went through a phase where we didn't like broccoli. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then it all comes back and now it's in our shopping all the time. Sure. Um, and making sure that y- the... That because the other thing that I try to warn everybody all is never to give up. There's always going to be a way. Um, my son has allergies, so we have a whole different parameter of things that we can't feed him. Mm-hmm. But we want him just to have the growth mindset where he'll try something. I said it might be different now. It might be better now. This might taste good now. Uh, and my daughter, she loves things for texture. But she's starting, she suffers from a little bit of monkey see, monkey do. So if her brother doesn't want to eat it, all of a sudden she will never eat it. It's yucky. Sure. So that's the challenge you have with children. Um, and the thing that we try to do is just give them as much exposure as possible. So mm. I, I uh, we were in a restaurant uh, uh, last Friday and they're eating karagi chicken and they're eating uh, crispy eggplant. So we, we've got a great world where uh, my my son bizarrely loves um, onion rings and um, it's it's just making sure that they don't lose sight of that they've got to try it. Uh, my son is very athletic too, so we hang that in front of him that he needs to eat as much nutrition oh, nice. as possible yeah. um, so he doesn't fade away or not be able to perform. Yeah. So once again, so essentially it comes down to encouragement. Yes. Uh, within yeah. limits that I understand could be sometimes difficult. But And I love the fact that you said never give up because I do – I have friends uh, who have got young children and they are on the brink of giving up. They're like, they just want to eat, you know, noodles with cheese all the time. Um, but, it, yeah, I'd love hearing that. So this, this is for them, that question. Uh, last one. Uh, when people go – to a restaurant for the first time. And I don't mean in how to criticize food, but could you just take us through something that you do in order to get the most out of understanding the experience? We could even use the example of the Japanese restaurant I went to. So Ashley Ford cooked a number of different meats for you. Yeah. <laughs> Some vegetables, I think that's what it was on the gigantic fire. When you were tasting that, what were you looking for? And I mean, just parking, of course, the, the atmosphere that we had around us and everything else. But in terms of the food, just give us a few secrets so that when our listeners go and even try anything from ice yeah. cream to waffles to right through to kind of cuisine of other sorts, whatever it may be, how how do they get more of an experience out of looking for something in their so, test bites? So yeah, uh, I, every time I go to a restaurant, I ask myself, what makes this, this, this meal I'm about to eat special? <laughs> Does it exist in more than just here? Is it the same meal that's pumped out? And what... What in what we ate? So when you you we did the Japanese grill, the sauces, the condiments at, at that right. restaurant were just un- unlike anything else, yeah. and they lifted everything up. What is escalating a venue a venue's food past where it starts, and 
the thing that I do to get the most out of is I try to find, try to have conversations with the team and the staff about what they love, uh, what 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 they're proud to serve. What what mm. does what do you guys do that people don't know you do? Because so many people walk in with uh, with a we have to get the signatures, but the signatures can go on for some time. Um, and then how do we do this? The thing I like to ask is how do we do this? So it's it's especially with um, some types of cuisines. How do you guys do it? I don't want to um, go to a, a type of restaurant and we're just doing it the way we do. You know, we get some fried rice and a couple of dishes, and that's not how they eat. Um, I try to make the experience how. They envisage it, not what just what I want. Mm. Um, and I try to I try to find things on menus that must be good enough that people order them, but they're not being ordered by everybody. Yeah. So there's a there's a place in Western that I love and they they list as a Thai restaurant, but they're actually all Lao. So they all make Lao food and there's a Lao section on their menu. And out of all of that stuff, it is the most phenomenal. So it's what they make for themselves, but they sell it on. So they make <laughs> make their own little pork sausages full of spices and stuff, and then they grill it and serve it with this gorgeous dipping sauce. Um, they make all of these salads, which are what they eat, and they're on the menu. So there's one of uh, like uh, rare beef, and uh, it's it's like a lard, but it's it's got this lovely texture, and it's it's seasoned with toasted rice. Mm. And finding that stuff that's clearly on the menu, somebody's ordering it, but you or you, you, you yeah, well, it's definitely <laughs> me. I'm, I'm always looking for that stuff. But then it's just not the uh, chicken and cashew yeah, and the, yeah. and the um, you know beef and basil leaf. Yeah. Um, and I think it's all of those things that. That give you more. And then then the other thing I, I beg of people is to look past the dressings um, because I'll take it with context. I don't want everybody to have a special occasion in a restaurant uh, with piled up soft drink in the behind them. But I want – I would love for people just to take a place based on what they do well. In, and for a lot of places, that's the food they put out. Um, it doesn't need to be the full – the full exposure of stuff, and then also yeah. just just give places a go and just just have an adventure on their menu because there's so many yeah. different things to try, um, and it's hard because the hardest thing that we have doing experience eats is actually communicating that places do some things that are different, mm. um, and communicating that some places that are super popular are popular for a reason because they they really put effort in. I love it. I'm I'm hearing three things. If anyone's writing this down, dig deeper. Yeah. Uh, look for detail. Yes. And ultimately have an adventure. Yes. Love it. There you go. I'm sorry. <laughs> Beautiful. Look, thank you so much. I, I did say I was going to get us out of here this time. So it's been lovely speaking to you. I hope I get to cook for you again in the future. I can't believe I'm saying this yeah. and not poisoning you. <laughs> um, but I'm sure I'll see you somewhere and for another conversation about all sorts of strange things and Polish dumplings. Uh, yes, I'd love to. <laughs> we should eat Polish dumplings oh, together. Yeah. No, no, well, I'll hit your DMs and we'll go from there. Nice. <laughs> Thanks, Ash. Thank you. So there you have it. That was my chat with Russ Evans from Experience Eats. And if you haven't checked out that Instagram account before, then I strongly urge you to do so, especially if you're into food. It's well worth having a look at all of those different experiences 
And now that we understand how he comes up with that content, it will mean even that much more to you. If you enjoyed this episode and you think somebody else would, then please let them know. This is exactly how this podcast grows. And if you have suggestions for me on who else to chat to, then I'd love to hear from you. I've really enjoyed the suggestions in the past. If you'd like to get in touch, then ashley underscore farod at outlook.com is one way, or Instagram at behind the bio podcast is the other. Again, I'd like to thank my friends at Coordinate for making all of this possible, and I hope you can join me for the next episode of Behind the Bio.